some people we have 50 paintings a month from. <gasps> How? I don't know. How do you make 50 paintings a month? Hello and welcome back to Art Juice. This is episode 16 of the podcast that brings you behind the scenes conversations about making art and the creative life with me, Alice Sheridan. And me, Louise Fletcher. And we are going to be diving into your magic circle and who you can surround yourself with that supports you when you're creating your art. And that may not necessarily be the people who are closest to you. But before that, let's talk a little bit about what you've been working on this week. So I've been uh, working on new paintings. I don't know if I mentioned on here last week that I'd had some new boards made. I think I did. Yeah, so you, you were fed up with priming them. Oh, Jesso and yeah. <laughs> I got finally done and I have now, of course, the problem I have that we always have in Britain is space. So now I've got all these panels and I've got to find somewhere to store them. So I'm lucky that in my studio I've got a little bathroom because it used to be a little flat over the garage and so there's room in there to lay them all flat on the floor so that's where they all are. But I have started painting and um, interestingly, one of the things I've learned about myself over the last year or so is that that colour is totally intuitive for me and depends on the season. Because I keep yeah. thinking, why are my colours changing? Oh, it's spring. So in autumn, I was all yellow ochre and uh, burnt sienna. And, and now I'm all like uh, quinacridone, magenta and all sorts of like really violent colours are coming out. Uh, so I'm going to have to tone it down in later layers, I think. But I'm having such fun with it. And um because the panels are all larger than I'm used to, and they're not giant by many people's standards, but for me, they're large. So they're either a meter square or they're two feet by three feet. Um, and that's big for me. And so just covering up that much space with lots and lots of paint is great fun. So that's, Isn't it? especially at the beginning bit where it doesn't really matter. And I think also, especially with colors that feel really fresh and exciting. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I find that my colours change a lot seasonally and that's not because I'm trying to represent seasons. I just find that my mood or the pace that I work at is different and it's, it's lovely to be able to have that freedom and control. I, re I remember thinking that one idea that I had at one point was that I was going to have to restrict myself to a recognised colour palette that was one of my rule busting things because uh, I couldn't work out how I was possibly ever going to do that because there were just far too many colours in the world to enjoy. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it's good fun that you can vary and do different things with it. So Yeah. And quite amazing that I've been able to do any painting because like you, I've also been uh, slaving away on the promotion of Nicholas Wilton's free workshop and now CVP that we're working on together. And I, I tell you something, it really gives you respect for people who do these kind of launch things on a regular basis. You know, yeah. people in internet land who do business launches all the time, like, because I just want to go to sleep for about a year now after this. <laughs> 
I had I had a good day yesterday. So I, I, got, I got up, I was in my pyjamas. I thought, I'll just do this one computery based thing. And then I was still in my pyjamas at 12 o'clock, not having left. And then I got as far as I went, I had a shower, I half dried my hair. So half of it was pinned up above my head in a mess and half of it was dried. And I completely forgot about it. And I something pinged in and I thought, oh, well, I'll just do this. And then I went out in the evening and I'd completely forgotten that I'd done that. <laughs> so... so what with leaving the house with complete and I'm not actually that fussed about whether I go out of the house with makeup on or anything like that but this was almost the equivalent of being half dressed it was Sylvia so what with that and completely losing where I've left the car for three days <laughs> and th thinking that it had been stolen and calling my husband and walking out and saying the car's been stolen and then realizing that I've left it in the supermarket car park yeah so we <laughs> We have been quite busy, but I think it's it does it does make you realise how much work goes into putting on anything, actually. Yeah. You know, and there are also people who we're in contact with who are getting ready for shows, who are who have been, you know, working out technology. There's an awful lot of work that goes into behind the scenes on anything. There really is, yeah. Yeah. And it's I've also found that having just portrayed myself as being completely scatty, that I've had to become a lot more organized because otherwise there's just no way that I'm going to get what I want to have done. So I have been trying to do, not today because Thursdays is not about that. We record on Thursdays usually. Um, but I have been trying to do some studio time first thing this week because last week kind of got swallowed up. So I'm doing much better on that this week but because I'm prioritizing it before I get stuck into anything else. So you have been painting this week then? I have nothing that's finished, nothing that's kind of final result here. I've got a whole load of boards primed. I need to order some small ones to work on, but I had another big studio revamp. I know I saw on Instagram that looked really good. Yeah. And people think you must be you only did that in January. What are you talking about? But what I realized was again, physical space. I've got something else coming up that I need to record overhead work for. And I haven't got anywhere that I can put lights to do that. And there's no space in front of windows. And just, I just realized that that little trolley that had all my paint on was just annoying and too small. And so I've had a little bit of a change around again there and it feels so good. And all of a sudden I had this huge expanse of floor in the middle and um, I'm going to come onto this in what's inspired anyway. Uh, the other thing that's come up this week is I was contacted previously by a big gallery in the UK and um, delivered some work for them that had to go up to their head office for approval by the directors and we had an initial conversation. It was great. It was very straightforward. Um, but usually they work completely exclusively. So they ask for complete exclusive selling rights to all your work, which just didn't sit very comfortably with me at all because I've spent a long time building up my customers and I like, I like that part of the process. Um, anyway, I thought it would still be interesting to see what they said, sent the work off, she emailed me back and said, we've got some feedback for you. And I've just been a bit busy for three days to even follow up. So a year ago, I'd have been like on the phone, tell me what's going on. I need to know all the answers. <laughs> and I was like, this can wait, partly because I think in a way in my head, I'd already assumed that this wasn't going to work. 
anyway, we had an interesting conversation and she said, usually we would have exclusive rights, but I can see that's not going to work for you. I'm still not totally sure whether the proposal will be something that is worth pursuing. But the interesting thing is that there is an alternative. So having made an assumption that this was something that wasn't going to work because I wasn't ready to accept it, which is totally fair, I think, there is now this kind of we could meet you in the middle. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we tend to think, oh, well, I don't fit their criteria. They won't want me or, you know, I don't want them. And actually there's, yeah, so there's another option. There's another option. And, and I still also feel that the other option is very much, what I was really quite happy with was that I think I remembered to ask all the questions that I needed to ask. So, you know, I'm thinking about it from their point of view, you know, how many pieces of work would you like to have from me in order to make this worthwhile? Because, and she said, oh, that just varies hugely. Here you go, that you're going to fall off your chair here. Some people we have 50 paintings a month from. How? I don't know. How do you make 50 paintings a month? And they might, and they can sell at that rate for people. Wow. Yeah. So this could be good. Yeah. If I, if I can just start making paintings, <laughs> 50 paintings a month. And what's I don't the think lowest I've got to... number they get from people? One. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so so somewhere, somewhere in between. <laughs> somewhere between one and 50. So we'll see. But the other interesting thing was the one that they really liked was one of the recent ones that I've done on canvas, which I feel is possibly not a direction I'm going to keep moving in because it, it's much more... It, it's a much clearer landscape again. Oh, I know which one you mean. Yeah, so I don't know. Anyway, so that's all in limbo at the moment. So we'll see where that goes. I think what's really exciting about that, though, is it's one of those things that whether it works or not, think back six years and, yeah. you know, five years or however Impossible. long. Impossible. Impossible to think, imagine. You know, and so if you say no to it, you've had the opportunity to say no to it, which is just yeah. in any way so you can't lose in this situation and I think also if you say no to something like that at least I'm aware now more of the questions that I need to be asked myself and I understand how it fits with my bigger picture yeah it's not just an immediate yes or no it's like is this going to be helpful for me in the short term or the long term or is this something that's going to hinder me and that's the basis that I'll be making my decision on yeah rather than just whether this is something I feel I have to do. Well, I figured out that everything you talked about two years ago when I first knew you is beginning to happen to me now, or I'm beginning to think those things. So I think, oh, two years from now, I'll be worrying about whether I'm going to go with this giant gallery somewhere. That's good. I'll look forward to that. But this is what they always say, isn't it? You just, you only need to know what the next step is. Yeah, you, you and you really do. And when you're at the beginning, you just you don't believe that. I mean, things that I know now to be true. I remember people telling me and thinking, "Oh, I, you know, that might be right for you, but it's not right for me." Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it is very interesting. Anyway, enough about me. Let's come on to our main discussion. So we're going to talk today about dealing with family opinion on your work 
and we've spoken before about asking for feedback but this is a slightly different thing so this is probably perhaps when you get uninvited feedback and probably not specifically around the work itself but more around the idea of should you even be doing this in the first place or whether your family are generally supportive of you and I suppose family could be your husband or wife parents brothers sisters but let's open it out as well into friends because there are an awful lot of other people's beliefs and values that get put on us and I don't know if it happens more when it's something to do with art because people feel that they're allowed to have an emotional opinion on it that they're quite happy to tell you about do you think it happens more with art perhaps it does because people also think it's for some people it's a flippant thing it's a it's not a serious thing it's a hobby so if they were having an opinion about your decision to become an accountant or to to work more on your accounting it wouldn't have the same feeling that it has when they have an opinion about your decision to do more of your art because I think for a lot of people they feel it's not a serious pursuit but it's also the idea that they're entitled to have an opinion on it and of course everybody's entitled to have an opinion on anything but if you see I wouldn't even begin to think that I could comment on somebody's decision to take a next level up accounting exam because I don't know anything about accounting whereas of course we can all have an opinion on art yeah yeah so we hear it from other people we get all their opinions yes but have you had people who've said I mean when when I was writing notes for this I was also thinking about you know your family history so what your parents did for jobs and what other people in your family have done for work and whether that has a bearing on how they see the decisions you're making yeah I mean my mum and dad were really uh my dad was a sales rep my mum was a bookkeeper accountant and that there was nobody creative in our family that I can think of. I've always tried to think back as anybody, nobody who liked art or had any, they were really supportive of me as a child wanting to do art and they were really proud of me that I could do it. But as a hobby and as a, you know, as not a serious thing. What about going back even further than that? Can you go back what, was to there's... before I was born? <laughs> well, to, <laughs> no, to, to a grandparent to what they would have thought of it no to that kind of creative outlet in your family can oh, you see yeah, that no, kind no, of person but there no was family trait? my dad's best friend who when we were young we used to call our parents friends uncle and auntie so my mm -hmm. uncle eric it wasn't really my uncle was a sign writer a hand paint you know painting sign writing he had a, a sign writing place and when i used to go there with my dad I remember loving it as soon as we got in there, the smell of the turps and it was like old, you know, old style painting. And they were so talented, the three brothers who ran it. And I just used to think, they're just painting, like that's their job. I didn't put two and two together that that's what I wanted or anything. I just remember thinking that was a magical place. But there was no one. And I've asked my mom and she doesn't know of anyone in our family that was interested. Um, so when did it come out for you then? When I was really little. 
So a uh, funny story, when I was, I, I think I must have been about six or seven and I really wanted to be able to draw and I had a comic book and I traced the characters in the comic book um, and then traced them onto a piece of paper. But then I told my mum that I'd drawn them and she was so proud because it would have been like freakishly talented if I had actually done that. And uh, she showed them to all her friends, which I started to become racked with guilt over this. And I bet it was only a few days, but it feels like a long time to me in my memory. And finally, one night I cried and cried and she came to see what was wrong. And I had to tell her, you know, I didn't really do the drawings. They're not mine. And I always remember, she said, I bet you could if you tried really hard. I bet you could do it yourself. And so then I started trying and then I could. And I started copying things from books. And so they were so supportive. And I remember I wanted to do O-level art. It used to be O-levels, which for people in, uh, in America, it's like when you're 16, the exams you take at school. And I wanted to do art and the school wouldn't let me because I had to do academic stuff. And my mum and dad went to the school and argued for me to do art because they said, all she does at home is draw. Why can't she draw for an exam? And they said, no, because she's too, you know, she won't concentrate, which I didn't. And uh, so they were supportive all that way through. But if I think of my mum now, you know, she's mystified at there's, that I'm having any kind of success. <laughs> I don't know what your parents were like or are like, but she's just mystified. She always says, really? I say I sold the painting. She says, that's nice. Have they paid you or have they just said they like it? <laughs> no, they paid, mum. Oh, lovely. <laughs> but, oh, what, money validates everything, doesn't it? It's so what, annoying, were your, what were your parents like when you were young? Do you have creative people in your family? Not my dad, definitely not my dad, but on my mum's side. So my grandmother on my mum's side, she, she was very creative. She, she, she painted. So when we used to go to stay with her, she had painting easel set up and she used to do large, quite naive watercolours very carefully. Um, not always the best understanding of perspective or anything like that. They were always kind of quite quirky. Um, but she, she, I think it was a frustration a little bit for her, but her real area of flow was um, as a seamstress. And she had worked as a seamstress from a very young age, 14 or something professionally. Wow. And um, she could make anything. So I remember just being, it used to be the thing that we would go and stay with her for the weekend and she would say, what should we make? And she would open this box of material and you'd sort through and just find the most, you could just pull out of it, whatever you wanted. Um, incredible material. And we would do things like, I remember my brother saying once, can you make me a teddy bear? And she made with him over the course of the weekend. And it wasn't just like a teddy bear shape, front and back stitched together around the end as a flat teddy bear. It was a three-dimensional sitting up teddy bear with legs and feet and paws. And she'd worked it all out because she just had this inherent understanding of how to translate flat fabric shapes into real fabric. Right. And she used to make us clothes. Like you'd turn up and you'd say, can we have make a dressing gown? And she'd make you a dressing gown like that. 
you know, get an awful lot of get an awful lot of pins stuck in you while it was being made or measured because it was yeah. all done without a pattern. Yeah, but she'd been doing it so long that it was just instinctive. This ability to be able to take what she needed and create what she wanted to from it. Yeah, and, and I remember being, you know, significantly impressed by this ability. Yeah. You know, that was pretty, pretty hot, even when yeah. we were little. So I, th- I think that's where it comes from. And I, I just know that I always like painting. I don't know if I could switch off from it, but I ran away once to nursery school and um, left the house before breakfast and nobody knew where I was. And I'd taken myself off and I was sitting on the nursery school step because it was painting day. Oh, <laughs> But um, I mean, my parents, they were supportive, but when it got to A-level, my dad told me that I couldn't do art as one of three because it didn't count. Yeah. I had to do it as an extra one and make up the time because it wasn't proper. At least you were able to do it. At least your school let you. And I think that was the thing. I think we had an amazing teacher at school and he was totally inspirational and I think also that point, that transition point, it's where you're starting to look outside of your family, isn't it? And you're starting, I see this now in my son who's 17, you know, yes, he comes back to us for what we say, but so much of it now is formed by his other experiences, what he's seeing in the world. And that's kind of where I wanted to go with this next part of the conversation, because I'm sure, have you heard this quote about you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with? Yes. Yeah. Um, And there is an article which I will put in the show notes, which actually goes into that in a little bit more detail. It's not just the idea that you're influenced by the people around you, it's that it actually happens. It actually causes a change in your life. So I don't know if you've got this far yet. So it was a study of... um, this, this says, the study of the breadth of social influence by Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler. And it was a data set about health studies, but they realized that it actually went much further than that. But they looked into all sorts of medical conditions and demographics and queries about people's family members. So they actually started to look at the data to see, and they were trying to measure something that was easy to measure. And they looked at obesity. So the point of this yeah. was that if, because it was easy to measure, if, if a friend of yours becomes obese, you are 45% more likely to gain weight over the next years. But even more surprising than that, if a friend of your friend becomes obese, your likelihood of gaining weight still increases by about 20%, even if you don't know that friend of a friend. Because I presume the friend of yours gets fat because of the friend, and then you see them, so it's a... It's, it's a, a kind of chain link effect. It, yeah. it, it's really interesting, and they've got... I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm looking at a summary rather than the full statistical mm-hmm. analysis because I haven't got the headspace to fill that. But basically, mm-hmm. they had um, data that spanned over three decades and they could actually prove that there was this real effect between individual friends and weight gains. And the, the point of it is that it's about changing your perception of what's acceptable and then your behavior changes accordingly. And I think that in terms of where we are and talking about art, this is something that I've definitely noticed 
has been helpful in terms of changing my mindset and ability about what is possible for me away from that assumed family beliefs yes because it i do believe that's true in every aspect of life not just weight and i and i do believe it's true in weight as well but are they looked as it they looked as it with smokers and all sorts of yeah things. because happiness you can totally yes i i can totally be influenced by my more negative friends to feel yeah. negative if i spend too much time around them um and so you can completely see it and when you're working on your as an artist especially for me when i first came back to it about six years ago they didn't have any but my friends are not arty they're not interested in art they were supportive of me being but that's not the same thing so no. there was nobody to help me encourage me inspire me um nobody ask questions to, yeah nobody for me to ask questions of nobody for me to reach try and attain what they were doing um, so that the difference for me came when I found people online because online you can make so many more connections you can find so many more people and out of all those people you connect with you find a few who then become even if you don't know them yeah in the online world do you even need that's the thing do you even need to know the people in your magic circle or can they just be I don't know I think you do I think I mean, I think you don't. All you need to do is um, be aware of the influence that they're having. And that kind of acts as a trickle down, I think. Yeah, because I can think of, I mean, there are obvious people that I got to know and uh, you're one of them. Nick Wilton's one of them. People that I know on some level and have have been a huge positive influence but there are other people i can think of who i don't think i've had any communication with but i've just watched their work watched what they do watched how they are in the world and that's been something that's pulled me forward or helped me to see a way to go forward yeah because the the flips i mean there's a flip side of this but in terms of the pulling forward, this is something that's really well recognized within a business world. You know, people often have business mentors. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, perhaps there's an idea that we need that specific relationship of somebody to show us. But what I really want to get at is that it can be a lot more generic than that. Mm -hmm. It can be much looser and softer and it's really just more about growing your awareness so that this circle this magic circle of influence you're, you're just consciously growing it into an area that you want to move into rather than staying stuck where you are I mean my first my first uh connection with other artists was through our open studios which is an amazing it is an amazing um, organization but it does also have a lot of people in it who have no desire for anything further mm -hmm. and had I stayed simply within that that's where I would have stayed and I, I'm trying to think what was what was the thing that pulled me what was my first kind of fishing hook that yanked me into I know what it was 
I know what it was. I did this 30 day challenge thing that was uh, all about just testing an idea. I've spoken about this before and mine was totally not art related. And as a result of that, I um, signed up with my coach just because I liked her attitude. And within her very small group, the very first week that I joined, there was somebody else within that group and she runs, she works in the perfumery business. And she'd had this video made of her and she was also talking about um, businesses being VAT registered. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I am so out of my league. <laughs> how, how come I'm here and here are these people doing like, here's this woman, she's just had this incredible professional video done and this is the level of her business is running at. And just thinking, I can't keep up with this. How am I going to manage this? I'm clearly in the wrong place. But I think also it was quite inspiring because it was a bit of a, well, that's interesting. You're looking at that and thinking, you, you, that's not for you. Why is that not for you? Yeah. Could it be? What element of that do you want? And I think, I think that was the thing actually for me. Yeah, because what you just said, I was thinking of around here, I had joined a local arts group, similar situation. And so some people who don't want to go any further, some who do, but also within that group, there was a bit of an, well, there was quite an attitude of art is something, an intellectual pursuit um, mm -hmm. and a valuable pursuit, but not one that you can be successful financially at. Um, it's, it's, it's hard being an artist and you know people won't buy anything and it's just a general kind of you know it's very hard and it's very exclusive this club that we're in I could have worked my way into that perhaps and then felt quite negative about my potential to ever make a go of this because look at these people who've been doing it so much longer than me and went to really great art schools and they can't make it work so what chance have I got yeah. And instead, because I came into this online world and met you and then all of the other things that came out of that and all of the artists that I found online who are making successful careers in different ways, I've got a completely different outlook on it now. And I won't let that drag me down. I won't go back into that mindset again. But I can see how I could have got stuck in that very easily. <laughs> Maybe it would be, would it be a nice idea? We're going to completely miss, forget people and then it's going to be awful. Shall we have a, shall we have a list in the show notes with links to websites of people who have been examples to us of how you can make it work in different ways? Yeah. Let's make one more thing for ourselves. I think that would be really nice. Because <laughs> we ain't got enough to do. <laughs> I'm not thinking of us. I'm thinking of being of service to other people. Listen, dear listeners, Alice is the kind one. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why, because literally just before we started doing this, I read the most brilliant um, post by Maz Hawes, Marianne, yeah. who uh, came to my second ever art fair and bought a painting, so I am forever in her debt <laughs> and I think her work is lovely. and we've been on a kind of similar-ish journey but she you know she's just had and she won't mind me saying this because she's just written a blog post about it she's just taken part in an art fair as part of a uh, shared gallery 
space at the show and didn't sell a single painting. And she's just written this brilliant blog post, which I really want to share to everybody, about why it would be very easy to see that as a failure and how she's managed it and what she's doing to not see it as a failure. And it's not just a question of talking positively or pretending that it hasn't happened. It's so it's a question of understanding how it fits in with your whole attitude to your work and what you're doing. And I'd really like to share that, but it can't be the only thing <laughs> I share because there are lots and lots of other people who are doing amazing things. I'm thinking, you know, Tara Lever was amazingly inspirational for me because there she was. She's, you know, I think she's on, she's on her own, isn't she? She doesn't have a family, but she, she looks, I remember coming across what she was doing and thinking, wow, here's this real independent woman who is finding a way to show her work, help others and putting it all together online. And yeah. thinking, That's cool. You know, and we just need these examples and just be conscious of the moments where we think that's cool. That's possible. I could do that. Yeah. And, and for it, me, some of those people are not art people for me. Some of them are in other walks of life, but it's, uh, it's still, they've been inspirational because they've done something that is yeah. unique or one of a kind. And yet they've made it into something very successful. And you think, wow, if you can make that, and the, the marketing guy, Gary Vaynerchuk has a great expression that you can make money at anything online. Doesn't matter what it is. If you love the Smurfs, He's like, smurf it up, smurf 24 hours a day. You can make money smurfing. And I just think that's such a brilliant example. <laughs> so those kind of people have been big influences on me too. And putting them into my circle of influence rather than just focusing on the artists I know makes such a massive difference. Yeah, so it doesn't have to be people who are your friends. Mm-hmm. That there's a couple of things to be aware of, isn't there? Is it's who you come into physically with on a day-to-day -day basis, and actually, if you've got this other like magic bubble of influence that you're allowing to be part of your life and the way that you're thinking, it's much easier to deal with the real-life negative comments if you've got somewhere else to kind of deflect them to. I think, but you don't have to. Like you've never had a conversation with Gary Vaynerchuk. I've never had a conversation with Tara. I've emailed her a couple of times, but we've never spoken. We're not friends. Yeah. Not been round to my house for a cup of tea. Yeah. And in fact, I don't think I want Gary Vaynerchuk to come round to my house for a cup of tea. <laughs> no offense, Gary, if you're listening. <laughs> but equally, there's a lot of people that you see it that you see in business that you think they, they do things a particular way and you don't want to be like that. Yeah. And that's okay too. And that's part of knowing what you don't want is part of knowing what you do want. So once you know, yeah, that's not me. Okay, well, what's the opposite of that then? Or what's another way of yeah. being than that? Or, yeah. what's a, or what is it? Like I find fascinating with someone like Gary Vaynerchuk who's so the opposite of me. But what is it about him that's, that's striking a chord? Well, in his case, for me, it's the fact that he is authentically 100% himself and has okay. made a successful career out of just being, not pretending, 
just being himself, not trying to fit into anybody else's box. Well, he really lives it, doesn't he? I, I'm, I haven't. What, what do you watch? Do you what? What do you watch on on Facebook or YouTube? Oh, just I often, if I'm painting, I'll just put him on in on YouTube and have him on ranting in the background. Oh, really? Yeah, because he's just good. I'll just get bits while I'm painting. Like, um, I don't listen as much now actually because as he's got his message more honed down and narrowed down, and he knows exactly what he's saying. It's very samey. Whereas. Okay. I've been listening to him since 2005, I think, and he was always very inspirational. But since 2005 to now, not any different. Do you think he's bored with it? I don't know. He doesn't seem it. He just loves it. He seems to. I mean, he just seems to... Because he's always filmed now, isn't he? Someone follows him around with a camera to make content. So he's always performing now, even in a driving in a car or which would be my idea of hell, but that's what I mean. So, so but that's I mean, the smurf it up thing, isn't it? Yeah. That's so smurf it up thing. find what it is that you're prepared to do. And I remember being told this as well. And this is where the, uh, you know, the idea of doing work to fit an audience just doesn't work for me at all, because that would feel like a real job. Yeah doing something to fulfill somebody else's desires whereas you can find something that you're interested in and you're prepared to do as we have been doing then you sort of don't mind even doing it it's all part of a a bigger picture if we were doing if we would just wanted to make money then there would be so many easier ways to do it yeah the ways we've chosen so many easier ways um but if but for me it's if i could if i could make a ton of money well i used to make well not ton of money but i used to make a good salary doing something i hated mm. and working really long hours at something i hated and getting yelled at by horrible people while i was doing it um now i don't make that much but i'm so much happier i'd much rather make less doing something i love um and it'd be lovely to make that much doing something I love, but it doesn't have, you don't have to. So it's, and it doesn't have to be immediate. I think no. that's, that's the thing. And it's a combination of um, doing something you love it, making enough money for you. Then you'll work. What I'm trying to say is it's not about money in the sense that you'll work three times as hard. Like for example, on something like promoting this course, it's been so much work. It's not, it's the work is in answering everybody's questions. That's the work. And every mm. single person deserves an answer to something they've asked mm. you. And it all takes time. But that's not really work, is it? Talking about something you enjoy talking about. It would be work if you didn't care about it. Yeah. If you enjoy it and you think it's a worth, worthwhile thing to do. Yeah. To help people decide what's right for them. And to maybe help them go on the same journey you've been on. Yeah. Um, then you're willing to put the time in. But if somebody said you had to, I don't know how, what this has got to do with our main subject though. I've gone off on a complete tangent now. <laughs> we're, talking, that, we're talking about um, spending time on things that are important to you and therefore how you build your influence around you in a way that keeps you on track really, aren't we? And I think that's where Gary Vaynerchuk is the same as you is the same as me even though we seem like different creatures all of 
all of us are doing our things in the way that suits us with the abilities we were given and uh, the things we love to do and wrapping it all up into a way to make a living. And the people that would be on my, the people I'm going to add to that list we're going to make, I'm guessing before I even think about it, are all going to be people who found a way to do that. And it might be in any other walk of life or it might be in art, but they found a way. You can tell when you watch you on your connected artist chats that you're enjoying it you can tell when you watch Nicholas do his free training that this is his passion you can tell that it's not oh I have to do a workshop I have to make make some money what's the point of this conversation is I suppose really it's about building your awareness isn't it about where you're getting your knocks and where you're getting the things that build you up and that if if you feel like it's leaning more towards the being knocked, then you need to make perhaps a conscious effort into finding or just noticing or being aware of or being part of other groups that lift you up rather than drag you down. And, and yeah. that, that's true for going online as well. You know, sometimes there are groups online and everybody's a bit whingy in them. And sometimes there are groups online that everybody is is really supportive. If somebody comes in with a question or a problem, everybody lifts them up and responds. So it happens in real world and online world too. And I think the other side of this, so you have your circle of influence and the, and they're positive. The other the other part of it is it's not enough to gather those people and have them there. You've got to You've got to use them, whether that means talking to them if you know them or reading their stuff if you don't know them, because yeah. you're still going to have over here, you're still going to have this, this negative stuff going on. And if you can't stop that, but you've got to be able to then go back to this bubble that you've made for yourself where it's safe and lovely and everyone inspires you. And, and, how do you do that how do you how do you minimize the impact of that over here and go back to it so that you keep your bubble going by keeping in touch with it but what do you do mentally then to also keep this other side from taking over uh, you see i think it's a question of of proportion and um I think this is interesting in relationships too, because sometimes you see relationships where people really bicker and um, probably everybody's got their different boundaries on what's acceptable for that or not. But a couple who bicker might have a certain percentage of their time bickering and it doesn't mean so much for them, but they might have a much larger percentage of time where they're actually getting on very well or they're joking with each other or they're connecting really well. And it's when one percentage becomes greater than than the other or the line gets pushed and it starts to become too much and overwhelming and then that's negative and what you've got to do is is balance it up a little bit so that's why I say it's about being aware and being a little bit more conscious and I suppose until you realize that it's happening automatically I mean it's not something that I'm consciously building now it just is my life is being in contact with people who are looking at an alternative or slightly different way of doing things. I think that's, that's changed for me as well. And it just means that I'm a bit less restricted in my thinking definitely than I was 
six, seven years ago. I don't know whether that's just a process of getting older, is it? <laughs> well, everything's a process of getting older. <laughs> that might be a good process, though. All the other processes so far are bad processes. <laughs> I just did it again. I had another good thing to say, and I've forgotten what it was. Oh, it's gone. It's totally gone. That, that piece of wisdom is lost to the world forever. <laughs> We'll just have to survive with that. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have a lot of fun with this, aren't I? <laughs> Although, actually, hang on. I did have a really lovely email come in, which I thought was really nice, which I would just read to you. Um, Joshua. Hi, Joshua. He says, um, I just wanted to say that I find your work beautiful. Blah, blah, blah. And I love listening to your podcast at the moment. I work in the studio every day listening to classical music, but I really enjoy the podcast to break it up. Thank you and kind regards. And we also had another um, lovely, uh, I think this was an Instagram comment, which I don't have to hand at the moment, but somebody who just said, it feels like I've suddenly found two new friends that I listen to. And I said, that's brilliant because that's exactly what we wanted it to sound oh, like. Oh, that's so, nice. That there is- you go. You are getting us warts and all well and truly today. You really are. And I did remember what I was going to say. Uh, it was this. I always think I, you, can, you can't ask people to be what, what they can't be. And if you, let's say you have a spouse who just doesn't understand abstract art and you're doing abstract art and you show it to him hoping for this reaction Mm. that's going to make you feel good. And he cannot give that reaction because he does not understand what you're on about. And, and if he's a good guy, he's also not a liar and he's not going to fake and pretend something he doesn't feel. So he's as stuck. He's as stuck as you are then because he's got to come up with something to say. So um, somebody said, used this phrase to me and I think it might be Pauline if you're listening Pauline so, um, you don't ask a plumber to fix the roof so if you're looking for someone to give you inspiration and uh, ideas for your artwork don't ask someone who doesn't have a clue what you're doing or why <laughs> um, just leave them out of it and this is what I try to do with my mum <laughs> just leave her out of it altogether because she'll just say it was so nice when you used to draw those lovely pictures of villages when you were younger do you remember <laughs> oh fantastic this is going to be a classic oh anybody if you're listening to this and this is the first one you've listened to it's not normally this bad <laughs> okay and this week then what's inspired you i'm going to start yeah. with this one okay so uh, after the studio clear out, this big roll of paper, and there was a, a, a not a very big pile this time, actually, of stuff that I was going to get rid of or go to the charity shop. And this large roll of brown paper I have had sitting up there for mm, three years, maybe, never done anything with. And it went out of the room into the pile to go to paper recycling to the dump. And then I just thought, that's just stupid do something with it. It doesn't have to take that long. And I got um, some Chinese ink and I got a tub of white emulsion that was out from last time I painted the floor that was still up there. And I got some big brushes and I just made a big, unholy, fantastic mess across three meters. And what I learned was even my very biggest brushes are really not very big across three meters. (laughs) You need a mop 
physically need them right. and, I, and I really enjoyed the fluidity of the ink more than the thickness of the paint on that kind of scale so that was quite a good learning but I just I really liked the feeling that I was using something that was otherwise going to go to waste but not in a kind of scarcity way in a way that just let me let rip and just do something that wasn't at all related to having an outcome or having an end result it was just doing it I don't know what I'm going to do with it now I'll probably get bored with it and throw it all away anyway because I'm not sure there's anything particularly of merit in the final piece I might cut it up and collage with it but it was the process of doing it always 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 the process of doing isn't it and you made a, a I saw a video of that was it on Instagram I did make a video of it yeah and it was so even the video was inspirational because I was like oh that looks fun that looks like something I should try one day what the scale of it was fun what 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 looked fun the fact the fact that you were on the floor looked fun yeah the length of it the fact that it was just uh could see it was brown paper so it didn't look like you were wasting anything expensive yeah it was quite thick paper I think it came from when my parents were moving house and it was it so it's not it wasn't like just normal thin brown wrapping paper it was quite tough right which is why I thought it was worth hanging on to yeah but it just looked the whole process of you know Jackson Pollock like with paint on the floor you're standing above it and you've got paint on the it just looked it looked fun it was fun we should do it did you mess up your lovely floor that you just cleaned though or well the floor's not exactly clean oh isn't it no so we don't worry about that that's good (laughs) so I got excited and inspired this week by something that's not going to happen for a while but it's very exciting I can dream of it until it happens which is building a studio in our garden instead of the one that I'm currently using and first off let me just say I know I'm totally spoiled that this is even a possibility because I spent years painting on the corner of a desk or uh, in a tiny little room. I'm doing this podcast with Alice from a tiny little cupboard, which was when we moved into this house, my painting room. It's just a cupboard with a desk in it. But I am fortunate that we have a lot of space and over our garage, we have a room that I use now, and but it's got sloping uh, roof and very low it's it's there's actually not a lot of space in there if the roof was high it would be a decent size but there isn't a lot of room and um we do have a big garden and we have uh, the people who lived here before built two patios and one of them and the uh, one that you go up some steps to the top one and it's about five meters by four meters and it's the perfect size for a uh, outdoor building with a good high ceiling one of those that you buy and they just put it up and so I was talking to my neighbor who's a builder and he was saying oh but don't buy one of those prefabricated ones because you don't get any options buy like a really good quality shed type thing and let me customize it all and insulate it and you can put windows where you want and so as a result of that conversation I started to sit down just drawings and looking at pictures of things and thinking what I would like it to be like and this is something I wouldn't be able to do probably until next year if we do do it but just the possibility of this which Mm. you know has been like a dream for me to have a space that I actually made the way I want it to be Uh, but there's a little niggling voice in the back of my head saying you do know that once you had this space it wouldn't be big enough (laughs) you'd want something bigger because I think we've always 
I'm starting to think we always would want something bigger than we have until we're in a giant warehouse. Well, some, somebody messaged me after that video and they kind of said, oh, I can see you being in a bigger studio space. And I said, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> just, just hasn't happened yet because it, and it, it is a difficult thing because while it's good to be comfortable with what you've got and to be thinking about more, we're all working within current restrictions of where you live or where you work or yeah it's really tough in London finding anywhere that's bigger that's not costing an arm and a leg so yeah but I think it's tough anywhere I mean unless you live in a a rundown city perhaps somewhere with some old buildings that aren't being used any I mean there are we do have a member of your group who found somewhere in Hull in in Yorkshire looks like a big space but around me, I don't know where you would find a big empty studio space for any kind of reasonable money. Can't but even... what, what's nice about what you say is it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's been a dream. It's been an idea. You start to have a conversation with somebody else. It starts to become closer to reality. Yeah. Still got to have the conversation with Phil about it. So <laughs> then <laughs> we'll see how much closer it gets. Because <laughs> he went, yeah, yeah, that's a nice idea. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Let's talk about it or let's talk about something else. Well, he said, oh, no, let's talk about it. Let's talk about, you know, let's just talk about the whole picture. Which oh, well, I, I take that as a dead cert. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I took it as encouraging. Okay. I think we better call it a day for today. That was episode 16. I can't believe we've done 16 episodes. If you would like us to take a break for the sake of our own sanity and yours... <laughs> please please let us know (laughs) if you are enjoying us you will notice that we didn't have an audience question this week now we could have made one up but we didn't so if you would like to send us a question you can do that from the show notes or from the posts about the podcast on each of our websites so that's louisefletcherart.com or alicesheridan.com we both have a podcast page on there or you can tag us on social media and if you just put in or message this is a question for the podcast we do actually have a little kind of list of questions that we are copying them down into but we, we we've we've gone through them all so far so give us some more questions give us some more ideas so as always thank you for listening it's been an absolute pleasure today silly ridiculous laughter and everything and we will see you next time on art juice bye 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 i think they know where to find us now don't you yeah after this they might not want to I've got a couple of good ideas for t-shirts I want to talk to you about too. Maybe oh. Smurf Up should be one. <laughs> Smurf it up. <laughs> Art Juice logo and Smurf it up. I love that. And then we'll be talking about... Which was an important point. And which is done again. So forget <laughs> Oh no, I really need to do some sleep.